It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. No, sorry. I'm just picking up a lot of static on your end. Oh, uh, I'm, on, I'm on my phone uh, headphones. So is that okay. better? A little bit now. Yeah. Do you have one of the ones where it like kind of hangs down beneath? Um... Yeah. Yeah. I can put them up like on my head. That might help a little bit. Yeah. Because sometimes those rub against like your chest or something. And it's rubbing uh, against your dad bod there or something. It's manly. I can't help it. All right. Any any better luck here? A little bit better right now. I don't know. Say something. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the human torch was denied a bank loan. I mean, it still comes in every now and then, but, but if it's coming in while you're talking, people are going to be like, ugh, don't want to listen to this crap. We... I pay nothing to listen to this podcast. I expect high quality. Oh, you got it. You got the ATST today? Awesome. No, that was, I got that the other day in the mail. I got this one today. This one came in the mail, I think, days ago awesome sweet see this is the best part of parenting one is when you can get all the toys that you want to get including like the uh hot wheels atst i think i'm gonna pass because um i don't want a sex trophy right now <laughs> we'll throw up one more flag here see if anybody wants to hop in but i doubt it they can go suck it <laughs> Two podcasts within a week. They're gonna. They're not gonna know what to expect from us. Hey, if Purdue can do a double flea flicker, then we should do a double podcast. Why not? Oh yeah. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. Yeah, you're getting two this week. 
Yeah, it's double shock power as Purdue football actually looking good in a primetime nationally televised game means two podcasts within a couple of days. Uh, we have a pretty small contingent tonight. It's just me and Juan, who is joining us from up in Ann Arbor. How you doing, Juan? Uh, pretty good. For me, football-wise, it was a great weekend. I mean, Thursday night, we saw the Patriots lose. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, Friday, obviously, good. was the Purdue game, which, um, I don't know. I keep watching that double flea flicker, and I get excited every time. Like, it's just, I can't get enough of that. It's like cocaine for me now. And then well, Saturday. To, to quote uh, Bob Costas from the Immortal Basketball, you're excited? Feel these nipples. Or I like how uh, EDSBS, um, Spencer Hall, was like, I'm taking off my clothes now to watch Purdue's offense. Um, yeah, that, granted, that was he, granted, he's a Granted, he's a Florida fan, so he doesn't know what an offense is we can say that we can make fun of other teams offenses now it's awesome i know i know i mean oh well i'm a, i'm actually a tad more scared of uh of illinois but maybe not just because they beat western kentucky at home 20 to 7 and part of me is like i thought western kentucky was gonna boat race them because I have no respect for Illinois this year whatsoever. But on the other hand, if Western Kentucky is suddenly that bad that they can lose by two touchdowns to Illinois and we all because we took their coach, hey, you know, this is a fantastic thing. I mean, I guess Vegas every now and then throws some easy money for some people. I mean, I can't really blame them. They barely beat Ball State the week before. And then, you know, they were a touchdown underdog at home in a night game against Western Kentucky and win. Um, I think part of that also, too, people thought Western Kentucky, you know, might still be good after losing Brom. But, you know, it seems like they still have some calibrating to do there. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see because I thought that I know they lost some of their better skill players and everything, but I know that they had their quarterback was returning and Mm -hmm. they had about as relatively seamless of a transition as you can get for a non-Power 5 school because I think they ended up promoting one of Brahms' assistants. Uh, it, It was interesting to see that and... I also know that part of what happened is is Brom bought, brought a l- bunch of the recruits that he did have already at Eastern Western Kentucky mm-hmm. with him to Purdue. So And I think he got a few to transfer as well. Well, we got McCollum, I know. Okay. Uh, he, he was the big one. Uh, and he's having a fantastic season for Purdue so far. <laughs> Two games in, I think he's our leading tackler in all as a grad transfer, which is wonderful to see. This has been pointed out before, but that's always a good sign when the players want to follow the coach. You know, yes. It may have just been one or two in the recruits too, but it just shows, I think, the power Brom has now. You know, he's going to push the players, but he's going to be well-liked as well, you know? Okay. I think I, even, I just... even even Blau said that he would run through a wall for him. I think I may, be, I may be paraphrasing him, but it shows that, you know, he has a really good connection with these players, and I think that's translating well early on in the season. When Gerard Parker took over last year, like, you could see... I mean, the talent gap was still there, obviously, but you could tell there was, you know, these players that had this connection with the coach, and they were ready to fight for him um, mm-hmm. and fight on the field. I mean, granted... It would only last a quarter or maybe one half because, you know, they were playing teams like Penn State and Wisconsin, who were still really damn good. And Purdue <laughs> wasn't. And you can't out-hazel a player in just a few weeks. Parker still got the most that he could get out of them, really. I mean, they were at least prepared in all six games as opposed to getting their doors blown off like they did against Iowa and Maryland. Right. And I think part of that, too, is sometimes, you know, the players, if they... I mean, I've never been a football player, and... Uh, 
I was a professional bench warmer in basketball by the eighth grade. So this shows you how well I know how players relate to coaches. But, you know, I get the sense that maybe the players didn't relate well to Hazel and they just would give up, too. I mean, we shouldn't be talking. That's all in the past now anyway. But point is, we, is that we have Brom, good football to talk about now. Yeah. The Brom squad is is fighting for these players. They're motivating the players and the players are following suit. And I think we're already seeing that early on two weeks in. I mean, they gave Louisville a hell of a fight. They just completely blew out Ohio. It could have easily been, they could have easily had 10 more points too, if had it not been for the drop passes early on in the first quarter. Uh, right, because I, I was a little bit concerned early on when uh, they jump out 10 nothing, and it probably should have been a little bit more than that. Then it got to 10-7, and it looked like Ohio was just going to gain some momentum, and all of a sudden... A 24-point explosion in the second quarter, and uh, that was benefited by a couple turnovers that you know I honestly missed because uh, I had to take a four-year-old to the bathroom. It's like I go to the bathroom and we're up 24 to seven, and I come to be back. Clear, and it's suddenly 34 to seven. I'm like, what? What happened? To be clear, the four-year-old is his son. Uh, yes, probably I should state that for the record. Four-year-old. Yes, uh, this is not. This is, is not Penn son. State. Oh, we're just going to do that now. I like it. Oh, of course. But I, I was watching the replay of it because, I mean, I couldn't just get enough of watching the Purdue game once. It's like a first time I actually want to watch a Purdue replay in the last four years. But, I mean, so, yeah, they go up 10 nothing. Ohio, uh, Ohio said Ohio State. <laughs> Although Ohio Bobcats probably have a better offense than Ohio State right now. Well, and, I mean, they they have equal records. They're both 1-1. One one. <laughs> so Ohio gets... Brings it to 10-7. Sindelar goes back out there, and now we're, and then we go three and out. And I think everyone's starting to get a little concerned. He's like, ooh, maybe what's going on here, guys? But then the defense gets a great stop, and then they put Blau back in. And I think he kind of revitalizes the offense a little bit. This whole two-quarterback system, I think we're still a little broken from the hope days when we had Trebush and Marv and sometimes Henry in there, too. Mm-hmm. But so far, the two-quarterback system, I think, is working because we have two great quarterbacks for Purdue. Sindelar is one who's going to— about as well as expected. Right. Sindelar is the one who's going to go out there, get the early touchdown, you know, get the offense fired up. And then and then Blau comes in. It's like, all right, we're going to start chugging down this field and, and just tear apart this defense little by little. And that worked wonderfully. I mean, it was also working against Louisville. And then once Blau started, you know, had the interceptions, you know, started to look a little shaky, throw Sindelar back in there. And it just revitalizes the offense again. Here's an interesting one to look at. And I, I just, I noticed this looking at the box score from both the Louisville game and the Ohio game. Very interesting to see how Brom has made some adjustments adjustments in play calling with okay this is working versus okay this is not working well we're just going to do it and i know that we're so used to the shoot fence of well damn it we're gonna we're gonna do what we're gonna do whether it's working or not and screw playing to our strengths against louisville purdue had 57 pass attempts versus 21 rushing attempts against ohio Purdue had 23 pass attempts versus 44 rushing attempts. That's very telling to me that two games apart, Brom actually was able to make the very simple adjustment of, oh, hey, we might be able to run on this team. Let's run it versus, Mm -hmm. oh, Louisville, they might have a strong run defense. Well, let's pass on them. It's astounding to see that. (laughs) And that gives me... That gives you some hope for this season, too. I mean, we're playing Missouri next, who just fired their defensive coordinator, so we'll see what happens there. 
Um, but that sort of adjustment is going to come in handy when Michigan comes to town in two weeks because we've seen that, you know, the Michigan's defense is really good against the run. I mean, they held Florida to 11 yards. I mean, granted, Florida might not be good this year. and But their passing is still, their passing defense is still a little iffy, I think. For those who don't know, I also have season tickets for Michigan being up here as a student. Mm-hmm. So I was at the game against Cincinnati yesterday, and I actually heard people behind me go on the record and saying they're scared to play Purdue. Like Usually that's Ohio State. Right. Well, of course. I don't blame them. Um, you just mentioned <laughs> the word Boilermaker, and they go hiding under a rock. It's refreshing to like think that we, maybe, maybe we might not beat Michigan, but the fact that people are taking Purdue seriously just two weeks into the season is such a huge turnaround because like the last four years, it's been like, heh. Playing Purdue. All right. That's a win. Of course, Ohio State fans and Illinois fans can never say that. It's it's just an amazing change of pace already. It is a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was just exciting to be in the stadium Friday night. And, you know, I'm, I'm going about and I'm in a concession line or I go to the bathroom or I'm just anywhere else in the stadium. And it's so interesting to see people actually surprised and talking positively about Purdue football. It was just I really didn't know how to act. You know, I'm in line to get a beer in Shively and the guy in front of me is like, wow, this actually looks like a football team this year. And I'm like, what, us? Whereas, like, in the past, it's been, like, a fluke game, like, you know, Nebraska, which was on Halloween. So all the jokes are, oh, Purdue decided to dress up as a football team for Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Got to keep building on this one game at a time. Um, I will maintain, I said this in the last podcast, and I tweeted this out, that if Purdue beats Mizzou this upcoming Saturday, I think bull talks are definitely a possibility. It's not... It's not dreamland. I think it's legitimately possible for Purdue to go to a bowl game if they win this Saturday. Oh, I I agree. And uh, one of the one of the ones that I was going to say, if I had been able to do the column of uh, wild predictions before the season even started, was I thought Purdue was going to beat Missouri. I mean, even before we saw them play Louisville, that was going to be my uh, upset special of okay, this is going to be the game where Brom comes out, and that's going to be the first upset. I expected to get blown out by Louisville. I expected to beat Ohio, but Missouri was going to be that one where it's the okay, uh, you know, maybe Purdue did make the right choice with Brom. And again, we're only two games into this, but it feels like we're just ahead of schedule because you have the Louisville game where realistically Purdue very easily could have won that game especially with the terrible officiating drive and then (sighs) too soon to talk about that then they go out and i was worried about the letdown against ohio i was like all right we looked good against louisville we've seen this before if they struggle with ohio or even lose then you know that the old purdue fan in me was conditioned to you know feel really bad and start getting down on the team but they took care of business i mean emphatically took care of business against ohio and really this is kind of the next step beyond that it's the all right you've challenged a ranked team you've taken care of business against ohio now you've got kind of a middling uh power conference team and you're going to to their house what can you do you know i i really think that we've got a legitimate chance to win this game and whereas earlier i thought we were going to win it we might actually be able to kind of win it going away if that's at all possible yeah and assuming you know purdue wins this game so that'll be two wins rutgers since they lost to eastern michigan yesterday that's rutgers is rutgers if if you lose to rutgers in big 10 play you're you're that should be an automatic. You don't go to a bowl no matter what you do. So, yeah, so that's a third win there. I still think Illinois is a like, almost a chalk-up win. 
So that should give us four, definitely. Northwestern mm-hmm. has not had a great start this year. They struggled yeah. against Nevada, and they got blown out at Duke. I mean, Duke has lately been the almost a top 25 team. Um, they're not yeah, the Duke of the Duke's 2000s. In football. But they got destroyed. I mean, I just saw the score coming in when I was in the big house, and I'm like, damn, Northwestern, what the hell happened? I mean, granted, Northwestern tends to stu- suck at the beginning of the year, so, you know, we'll see how that pans out. So that, so I think that's a possible fifth win. And I think mm. that Purdue will get at least one win against either Michigan, Wisconsin, or Nebraska. I oh, think they're going big there. I think Nebraska is the most likely of them because their defense sucks. I mean, they were getting uh-huh. blown out at Oregon yesterday, and they made it. They made a good comeback to almost win that game, but nevertheless, their defense is still has some question marks there. Michigan, like I was saying earlier, their front line is scary, but their secondary still has some uh, soft spots there that I think Blau can and Sindelar can take advantage of. And then Wisconsin, I mean, I'm just throwing that in there. If Purdue beats Wisconsin this year, they need to build the Brahm statue immediately after that game. So that would, so winning one of those would give us a sixth win. And I mean, well, wow. I mean, just the fact that you're thinking we have a chance to legitimately beat Wisconsin, I think you're on hard drugs. I mean, but, it's uh, a 1% chance, but it's still a chance. Like, the fact that we can talk about Purdue might have a chance at playing hard, at least like competing against Wisconsin is. Well, and we did two years ago, but that was the game that Shoop and Hazel punted. Yeah, and was, that was a rainy was game. So frustrating. And, oh, no, no, it was, wasn't. No, it, Oh, we're talking that about was the, the one in Madison where they lost right. 24-7. I, I was thinking the one in 2014 where they kind of hung around and then Wisconsin scored and Purdue gave up. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was that game where... Oh, no, I remember that day. That was the day Michigan lost to Michigan State on that punt fumble. That's <laughs> why I don't remember that day. That's the last I will talk about it. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, well, I will say this from the 2015 Michigan-Michigan State game that it was silent leaving the big house. My friend mm-hmm. goes to me, are you all right? And then I just scream out loud, I left Purdue for this. <laughs> And it was like kind of a comic relief for everyone around. It's like, oh, that guy's a Purdue fan too. Damn, he's having a bad day. <laughs> Poor bastard. I think the other one is critical here is uh, we get the bucket game at home and Indiana fans are feeling a little too spicy about their football team. And you're looking at an unprecedented thing where if they if Purdue loses to Indiana this year, no matter how the fact that Indiana is actually respectably good this year and Purdue is still overcoming a lot, losing five in a row to Indiana has never happened, ever, ever. Purdue and Indiana have played close to, or they've played 119 times. Indiana has never once won five in a row. And that's what we're facing here is... And five is their favorite number, too. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. They love, they love the number five in Bloomington. They can never get past them. They can never get past it and reach the number six, but they love the number five. Well, I mean... If you watch Indiana football Twitter, the greatest accomplishment in the history of Indiana football is beating a deplorable Purdue team four times in a row to go six and six or six and seven twice. Congrats, IU. You were better than Illinois. But uh, the the last time that they won four in a row was uh, 1944 to 47. And that was part of a string where they actually won seven of eight in a row. 
from 40 to 47. Okay, but that's per- during World War II. Right. I mean, I mean Crimson, wanted, Crimson Corey wanted... always likes to point out that we always put asterisks whenever IU beats Purdue. But that deserves a damn asterisk because Purdue has a strong military history and probably a lot of Purdue players were, you know, fighting the freaking war against the well, Japs the, and the, the one, freaking Nazis. The one win in there was uh, 1943. Purdue won seven to nothing. And if Classic. I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, that was an undefeated, probably should have won the national title team for Purdue. Because if I look it up here... Were you a fifth grader that year? Is that why you remember it so well? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, That was actually Purdue's last undefeated season in football. Which, uh, you know, I know, Purdue, undefeated season. And the reason we did not win the national title is uh, Notre Dame went 9-1. and And they claimed the national title. However, what makes that very interesting about their claimed national title is the one team that beat them was one of those uh, wartime Midwestern academies. Great Lakes Navy went 10 and 2 and Great Lakes Navy lost to Purdue. So it is a robbed national championship for Purdue football. And I'm not making this up. We, we beat the one team that beat the alleged national champion that year, Notre Dame. You know, we claim that one national title from like when John Wooden in like the 1920s or something like that. Like that was backtrack. Mm-hmm. It says, OK, Purdue is a national title, national champion that year. I say mm-hmm. we do the same thing for that 1943 national championship. Claim it as a run, damn it. <laughs> just fly a banner and Ross aid and just... Well, how many people actually get pissy about it well uh, if you look it up the same people that awarded purdue the 1932 men's basketball title uh if you really go back purdue does have one partial claim to a football national championship in 1931 they were awarded a park davis national championship now that year but USC got like all the other, you know, if you look up like all the official polls of recognized national championships and, you know, back in the 30s, there's like 25 different ways they can award a national championship. But uh, USC got most of them that year by going 10 and 1. However, Purdue and Pittsburgh were awarded a Park Davis national championship. All right. So we got two national titles to claim now to none for IU. So that's all that matters. And that officially that is college football historian Park H. Davis was the only selector con- considered by the NCAA to have primarily used research in his selections. He did all of his work in 1933, naming retroactive national champions for most of the years from 1869 to 1932, while naming Michigan and Princeton, his alma mater, co-champions at the end of the 1933 season. Smart man. And, uh, I mean, this is what he did with his research. And uh, officially, Purdue was awarded the 31 championship from him. So we got two banners to fly now in Ross This is excellent. And here's the other thing about that 1943 undefeated team. Notre Dame was named the national champion by everybody. AP, I mean, all the polls that are across here. But they were 9-1. and one, And their one loss was to a team that Purdue defeated, and Purdue went 9-0. and oh. So there, there's your lost football national championship for Purdue football. Big Ten hatred has been going on since the 1940s, man. You know? Yeah, so ni- 1943. And as Juan said, that's when I was a fifth grader. So That's why you're able to talk <laughs> about it so much. Uh, anyway, we should we should probably actually look ahead to Missouri here before we finish up the podcast because that will be Purdue's opponent next week in Columbia, Missouri. 
The Tigers have had a very interesting season so far. As Juan mentioned earlier, they just fired their defensive coordinator two games into the season. Uh, His name was DeMonte Cross, and he was hired as the defensive coordinator uh, last season by Barry Odom. And... (laughs) He was actually stripped of his play calling duties for defense last season. So that that's a strong positive. Um, what you want for your defensive coordinator is to not be making the calls. And two games of the season, he has now been let go. So they have an interim defensive coordinator and probably with good reason because Missouri's defense has been terrible of, of late. Uh, they started the season with a 72 to 43 win over Missouri State. Missouri State being of the Missouri Valley Conference at the FCS level and uh, not particularly a good, not particularly a good Missouri Valley Conference team. Uh, I know the Missouri Valley Conference is generally probably, I would call them one of the top two conferences at the FCS level because they've got North Dakota State, Illinois State's usually pretty good with Brock Spack. Uh, Youngstown State is in that conference as well. You know, they generally put a couple teams into the into the into the FCS playoffs. Missouri State's not one of those. Uh, they're already 0-2, but they managed to hang 43 points on Missouri, and it was 48-35 at halftime. So they put 35 points up on them and were leading 35-34 with five minutes to go in the first half. Uh, and then last week, the Missouri offense, which had put up 72 points on Missouri State, managed 13 points against South Carolina yesterday. Uh, South Carolina beat them 31 to 13 and South Carolina didn't even have a particularly strong game. They had 187 yards passing, 172 rushing, pretty pedestrian numbers. Yeah, the, the Missouri offense has not been strong or Missouri defense, excuse me, has not been strong. They gave up 353 yards passing to an FCS team and 139 yards rushing. And you're you're talking about a Purdue offense that is probably going to be the best offense they've said they've faced yet, and that's strange to think about. That that's one of the reasons that we're excited here. And then you have the Missouri offense, which had 521 yards passing in the first week of the season. Uh, Drew Locke, and that was on 21 completions, to give you an idea of what <laughs> what he's done. Uh, and that was with seven touchdowns and one interception against Missouri State. They put up 800 yards of offense on Missouri State, and then last week facing a South Carolina team that is pretty middling to be honest you know what there wasn't a ton expected of them they only were able to put up 13 points and 245 yards passing 178 rushing so that that's an idea of what we're facing next week so i haven't looked at the stats did mizzou have a lot of turnovers in that game as well because that's still a decent amount of yardage to only get 13 points out of it they had two interceptions doesn't look like they had many fumbles i'm not i'm not sure if they had any fumbles or not but they did throw two interceptions. So okay, that... and they lost. They did lose a fumble. Okay, so that's three turnovers. Did they miss any field goals here or something too? That might. Uh, and they were up early in the game. They were actually ahead ten nothing at one point. Uh, they missed a field goal just before halftime, and that's it. And so okay. one missed field goal. So I mean, that also depends. I mean, I'd have to go back and watch for all we know these. I mean, just from my experience, like I remember last year's Cincinnati game, like that was the one where, you know, 
Blau had the five interceptions and whatnot. And was looking at the box score before I saw the replay. It's like, but Purdue had a lot of yards in this game. Like, how the hell did we only score so little points? And then I see these interceptions and fumbles that mm-hmm. occurred, like, at the end of the drives, you know, when they're trying to, you know, when they're in the Cincinnati end of the field. And so... And at least um, a couple of them were tipped passes, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm saying this now because Drew's not here to rip on Blau right now. <laughs> but the point what I'm trying to make is, you know, I have a feeling the Missouri's offense is still decent. They just maybe had these, you know, back-breaking interceptions and fumbles that just inopportune bad times um, mm-hmm. as well. And I couldn't see if they had missed any field goals or anything. So who knows? Maybe they had a few in there, too. That definitely I get the feeling that they left quite a few points on the field rather than putting them up on the board. So you still think you still look at that and they had a 10, nothing lead. So they basically gave up a 31, three run at home to lose by 18 points. Sounds like what Purdue did often these last few years. No, we would have had to have actually had a lead to give up. Well, I know we had a 10 nothing lead against Northwestern last year and then lost it and then got uh, blown out. Anyway, that's besides the point. It's a black and gold tradition, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. Even though I think, you know, Purdue is looking good, Mizzou looks a little questionable, you know, it's just these road games. You never know what to expect out of them, especially for a first-year head coach. You know, this team is still feeling good, but, you know, there's still some adjustments going on there. And you can never – I can't chalk this up as a win yet, I think. I mean, I think it helps. I think it helps that the Louisville game was not at home and that it was at least at a neutral site. That kind of felt like a road game. So, I mean, it's not like they, you know, it's not like they've replayed him in West Lafayette or anything to start. So, well, seeing the picture from your end, you were looking at all the Louisville fans. All their sound was coming towards you on TV. That sounded like a pretty neutral game. It it was very neutral. It's like my side of the field was, was the Purdue side because, uh, you know, that's who I happened to get my tickets through and everything. You know, it was it was a good crowd uh, both ways. And there there were definitely some Louisville fans there that were like, holy crap, we did not expect it to be this close. I don't think this game's going to be a gimme. Um, I mean, even Vegas still open up with Missouri being a touchdown favorite. I don't know if they had, you know, I don't know if that's factoring the news that they just lost their defensive coordinator or maybe it is. And they think, oh, maybe whoever their student intern, who's the now the defensive coordinator, he might be he or she might do a better job than what this guy does so who knows we'll have to see what happens here it's definitely still going to be a test it's i don't think we can chalk this one up yet as a win like i said Uh, i think what's making it interesting is you could have two pretty good offenses going here and i've i've been very pleased with the purdue defense so far and i love seeing them as an actual aggressive attacking defense as opposed to well we're just going to sit back and wait for them to complete the 15-yard pass before we tackle them the missouri defense is clearly a bit of a mess and you know this could be one of those 45 42 type of shootouts too because you, you just don't discount what you don't discount a quarterback that threw for 500 yards and seven touchdowns in a game no matter who the who his opponent was so I think I think we've done a good job of uh, previewing who Purdue's opponent is this week, and Casey's not here to get us off on some sort of tangent or anything. So we can probably start to wrap this up, and maybe we'll have another podcast this week. I don't know. Three would probably be too much too much of us to handle, and you know. Yeah, maybe maybe women, one. Women all over the Midwest. Women all over the Midwest would be ovulating if they heard our voices three times a week. So I'm pretty sure they're all running away right now. <laughs> I don't think any. I don't think anyone ovulates when they hear your voice, Travis. <laughs> hey, it worked once, so 
Might as well. Even a, even a broken clock is right twice a day. This is true. Yeah. Anyway, do you have any final fo- thoughts, Juan? I feel positive about Purdue football. It's such a weird thing to say, and I'm not even saying that sarcastically. Like, there's legitimate pos- positivity around Purdue football. Let's enjoy it. And I and I agree with you. It's like I grew up in the negative span of the Acres Coletto era. And then I saw Tiller, and that was like a gift from the gods. And I thought that was going to last forever, and that regular bowl game appearances were just kind of our birthright. And then unexpectedly, we descended back into the Acres Coletto era. So it's very refreshing to be back here after such a nadir of just struggling with football. And hopefully we can keep it going this week. And I, I tend to agree with you. If Purdue can beat Missouri, then we actually will probably go to a bowl game, which is refreshing to think about, even if it ends up being the quick lane bowl in Detroit and we can win the Detroit bowl under three different sponsors. I want that because Ford <laughs> Field is less than an hour from my apartment. I want, of course, I say that and either Purdue is not going to go bowling in my last year here in Michigan or they're going to get some random bowl in Florida, which, oh, yeah, sure. Nice weather and all that crap, but that's not 45 minutes from my house, damn it. <laughs> And it's not a bad bowl game. I I went to the Pizza Bowl in 2012. Ford Field is nice. Downtown Detroit isn't that bad anymore. Oh, yeah. It's not the frozen urban hellscape that it once was. So, yeah. But let's aim for the Detroit Bowl. You know, just yeah. just get the six and six to get to the Detroit Bowl, please. I mean, if we go to the Rose Bowl, fine. I, I can fly out to Pasadena, write it off as a work yeah. trip because I know people at JPL. But yeah, I, I could work. I could write it off as a tax expense for running the blog and everything, and get a get a get a media credential. And I guess that I can, you know, get sideline passes for the Rose Bowl. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing guess... to make these sacrifices. I guess we could just, you know, win the Big Ten title, go go to the playoffs, win the national title against Alabama. But that's just so pedestrian, you know. I already I already previewed how we could do this from the Rose Bowl for crying out loud. You called it. You might have called it. Hey, I well, I did say that we'd beat Louisville, but we're a major conference team. We can probably make the playoff with one loss, especially since it was a close loss on a neutral field to the defending Heisman champ. So, I mean, the Rose Bowl, I don't think, is part of the playoff system this year. It's still it's, it's one of the semifinals. Oh, is it one of the semifinals this year? Yes. Darn. I guess. Well, I mean, if we go eleven and one and win the Big Ten, baby yeah. steps, one game at a time. Don't book your trips to Pasadena yet. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, while we're still in the hard drugs, we'll go ahead and end this uh, podcast. So for Juan and myself, we'll go ahead and sign off for tonight. And we thank you for listening and boiler up. Boiler up.